Hi, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode whatever. The following is an impromptu episode I recorded this past Sunday. It's basically my long and rambling response to a recent Salon article on quote-unquote new atheism and the so-called alt-right. If you're interested, you can find a video version of this episode that I recorded with OBS on The Week in Doubt YouTube channel. Fair warning, there's some annoying pops and audio glitches in the video version. I believe this was the result of running the OBS file through iMovie. Lesson learned. Now, this episode was completely unscripted, so I may pop in here and there through the magic of editing and correct myself. But without further ado, here we go. All right. Hey, everyone. I really didn't plan on recording this morning. Uh, this is Sunday, July 30th. It's about 8.43 a.m. I just released an episode yesterday or the day before. And uh, prior to that, I had released another episode not long before that. So I really didn't plan on doing a, a third one this soon. But I got up and I was kind of cleaning up my computer desktop. It's always a kind of virtual mess after I record an episode. All the images I've dragged to the desktop and that sort of thing. Um, lots of browser pages open from researching articles, etc. And I stumbled upon a Salon article which kind of goes after quote-unquote new atheism. And uh, it's, it's just from yesterday. And I think the way I found it was I had been, as I said, kind of cleaning up my desktop after uh, recording the most recent episode. And I noticed um, a picture of Bill Maher and Richard Dawkins, obviously photoshopped, but it piqued my interest and I clicked on it and it took me to Salon. And let's see if I can get back there. Yeah, and then I discovered this article. And it's entitled, From the Enlightenment to the Dark Ages, How Quote-Unquote New Atheism Slid into the Alt-Right. A movement supposedly committed to science and reason has decayed into racism, misogyny, and intolerance. And then the author says, I'm done. And it looks like Phil Torres is the... Uh, author of the article. And this is going to be completely unscripted, and I thought that would give me a good opportunity to experiment once again with OBS, which, if you're not familiar, is this free piece of software that allows you to stream and record and uh, even capture browser windows, etc. So I figured, uh, you know, why not record myself as I actually scroll through this article and uh, you know, capture the uh, the window in Safari as I do so. And I have a problem with the label, quote-unquote, new atheism. In a way, I think we haven't even got beyond the title yet. And I think the title already includes two kind of problematic labels that could kind of muddy the waters a bit and confuse things. New atheism and alt-right. Of course, uh, the, the term new atheism has been around for years now. Uh, it's probably most often uh, applied to the so-called four horsemen, uh, Richard Dawkins, the late great Christopher Hitchens, Daniel Dennett, and Sam Harris. 
And it was used as this kind of shorthand for what people were kind of characterizing as as adherents of this kind of newer, more strident, more unapologetic atheism, supposedly. And I think I remember Richard Dawkins being interviewed once and someone asked him about the label New Atheism. And he said he wasn't even sure where it came from, that it might have been something coined by the press. And it wasn't something that he was necessarily uh, concerned with or that he necessarily used to describe himself or his peers. So New Atheism, yeah, I'm, I'm not even sure how apt or appropriate that label is um i actually see it as somewhat of a pejorative if anything although i think i have heard atheists themselves use it i'm an i'm an atheist myself agnostic atheist technically and then the alt-right so i think kind of broadly people were using the term alt-right to refer to these kind of far-right Breitbart, uh, Trump-supporting conservatives. Uh, but I think in conservative circles, I think the alt-right is specifically used to refer to white ethno-nationalists, kind of like uh, like Richard Spencer. Did Richard Spencer coin the term alt-right? I'm not sure, to be honest. Actually, maybe I'll take a jump over to Wikipedia for a second. Yeah, so the first sentence here says the alt-right or alternative right is a loose group of people with far-right ideologies who reject mainstream conservatism in favor of white nationalism. And it says Richard Spencer coined the term in 2010. But we know the the um, term really started to gain popularity, uh, I would say probably maybe over the last couple of years and especially around the time of the most recent uh, presidential election. The New Atheism. New Atheism is a term coined in 2006 by journalist, okay, yeah, Gary Wolf, to describe the positions promoted by some atheists of the 21st century. The modern-day atheism, this modern-day atheism is advanced by a group of thinkers and writers who advocate the view that superstition, religion, and irrationalism should not simply be tolerated, but should be countered, criticized, and exposed by rational argument wherever their influence arises in government, education, and politics. So that actually makes it sound very reasonable. I actually don't mind that definition of new atheism at all. But in my experience, it does seem to be wielded as, as a kind of insult or pejorative by people on the other side of the argument. And uh, it does seem to be used as a kind of a shorthand for a kind of more militant or aggressive form of atheism. And I don't know how accurate that is, you know, this idea that people questioning or criticizing religion is a new thing. Uh, I mean, I think you can go back to Bertrand Russell or maybe even, um, you know, back into, uh, I, I forget the, the Arabic thinker's name, the one that Christopher Hitchens quotes at the beginning of God is not great. 
Oh, yeah, I think it was, uh, yeah, it's Omar Khayyam from the, uh, the Ruby Kayad. I'm probably butchering that. Uh, but, and, and it goes, and do you think that unto such as you, a maggot-minded star fanatic crew, God gave a secret and denied it me? Well, well, what matters it? Believe that too. And my guess is there's always been skeptics and people who are critical of religion or the existence of the gods and of superstition, etc. And like I said, once again, not to sound like a broken record, it seems like people use the term new atheism as a pejorative to try to characterize those they saddle with that label as being almost this new virulent mutant form of atheist. <laughs> These people who... Um, are super militant uh, and, and who are like uh, almost out of control, like this this breed of atheists we've never seen before. When, as I said, I think there's probably always been people around who were skeptical and who um, criticized superstition, uh, religious belief, etc. But anyway, I'll continue with the article. Yeah, and there we have a picture of Sam Harris and Milo Yiannopoulos side by side. Um, let's see. The new atheist movement emerged shortly after the 9-11 attacks with the best-selling book by Sam Harris called The End of Faith. This was followed by engaging tomes authored by Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, and the late Christopher Hitchens, among others. Avowing to champion the values of science and reason, the movement offered a growing number of unbelievers, tired of faith-based foolishness mucking up society for the rest of us, some hope for the future. For many years, I was among the new atheist movement's greatest allies. From the start, though the movement had some curious quirks, although many atheists are liberals and empirical studies link higher IQs to both liberalism and atheism, Hitchens gradually abandoned his Trotskyist political affiliations for what could, in my view, be best described as neoconservative outlook or a neoconservative outlook. Indeed, he explicitly endorsed the 2003 U.S. invasion of Iraq, now widely seen as perhaps the greatest foreign policy blunder in American history. So it is true that that uh, Christopher Hitchens, who I greatly admire, did support the war in Iraq. And I think myself and many other atheists, that was one of the few areas where we disagreed with him um and so i'm getting the feeling that already they're saying that quote unquote those who follow those who fall under the umbrella of new atheism fits some kind of cookie cutter mold and somehow what because christopher hitchens had some conservative leanings or supported the war in iraq that means the quote unquote new atheist movement if it even exists or existed is somehow conservative or, uh, to some degree or something like that. I mean, that, that Christopher Hitchens was one person that I don't think Dawkins uh, supported the war in Iraq. Um, Sam Harris has caught in a lot of flack for speaking out against Islam, but he's pretty uh, liberal on most things. And I, I don't know what his position on the war in Iraq was, but um, let's carry on. And I know this talk of Sam Harris and war is probably going to 
get some of his detractors, if they should ever hear or see this, bringing up that thing about um, initiating a global nuclear strike if fundamentalists or, you know, a, a terrorist group ever ever came to power in a uh, Muslim nation. And uh, Cenk Uger from the Young Turks and others have really gone after Sam Harris for that. I think it's something he mentions in passing near the uh, end of faith. Bit of a slip of the tongue there. I meant near the end of the end of faith. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Something about if you did have a really extremist regime take over a nation like Iran or something like that, and it looked like they they were willing to commit nuclear, you know, jihad. Um, you know, he asked or, or he asks or poses the question: Would we end up having to resort to a, a nuclear first or preemptive strike? Uh, yeah, and he's caught a lot of flack for that. I, I believe in his defense, he referred to it as a, a kind of thought exercise or a game theory exercise uh, and that he wasn't actually promoting a uh, nuclear attack on the Middle East or whatever. Uh, but I'll continue. There were also instances in which critiques of religion, most notably Islam, went beyond what was both intellectually warranted and strategically desirable. For example, Harris wrote in 2004, in a 2004, uh, my brain's not really firing on all eight. I was uh, drinking last night and then for some reason got up at six in the morning. Uh, Harris wrote in a 2004 Washington Times op-ed that, and here it is in quotes, we are at war with Islam. He added a modicum of nuance in subsequent sentences, but I know of no experts on Islamic terrorism who would ever suggest that uttering such a categorical statement in a public forum is judicious. As the terrorism scholar William McCant noted in an interview that I conducted with him last year, there are circumstances in which certain phrases, even if true, are best not uttered, since they are unnecessarily incendiary. In what situation would claiming that the West is engaged in a civil in a civilizational clash with an entire religion actually improve the expected outcome? Okay, so I would admit that sometimes even Sam Harris, and, and he'd admit the same, I'm sure. I've heard him do it in interviews and on his podcast, that sometimes he says the wrong thing or, or he couches a sentiment in a way that he wishes he you know, could take back or rephrase. Uh, I mean, if that was me, I'd probably say something like we're at war with fundamentalist uh, Islam or Islamic extremism. But I will give a tip of a hat to the author here. Um, I think there are some times when it serves one's interest to be diplomatic. I think it's probably wiser to focus on Islamic extremism uh, so you run less of a chance of alienating moderate Muslims. But then there's the whole can of worms we can then open regarding what exactly do quote-unquote moderate Muslims believe. You know, what percent of the Muslim population in a place like, let's say, Britain, for instance, there there have been disturbing studies, even if even members of that population or demographic who aren't themselves terrorists um is there a sizable percentage that still 
embraces a kind of fundamentalist interpretation of Islam or has sympathies in that direction. So, but as an atheist myself who thinks that all religions are man-made, um, who, as I was just saying in the last episode, there's some kind of trappings of religion I like, even Islam, you know, uh, with Islam, maybe the calligraphy, the architecture, the poetry of Rumi, uh, as Sam Harris has even pointed out once, as I think he put it, the haunting beauty of the call to prayer, etc. Um, but at the end of the day, I think all religions are, they're, they're not divinely inspired or revealed. They're, they're man-made belief systems laden with superstitious and, um, anachronistic garbage, some of it pretty darn ugly. And Islam is certainly no exception. Uh, just yesterday I was talking about some of the uglier passages in the Quran. So I don't have a big problem with Sam Harris, uh, even though it's probably not the wisest way to couch things, saying we are at war with Islam. Uh, once again, I probably would have taken a more measured approach and said we're at war with Islamic fundamentalism or something like that. Uh, let's see, but I'll continue. Despite these peccadillos, <laughs> peccadillos, I don't like that word. If <laughs> if that's what they are, I'm going to add that to the list of words I don't like, words that kind of make me cringe. Uh, okay, so peccadillos, uh, panties, um, brunch. Uh, there's a bunch of other ones. So despite these picadillos, if that's what they are, new atheism still had much to offer, yet the gaffes kept on coming, to the point that no rational person could simply dismiss them as noise in the signal. For example, Harris said in 2014 that new, atheists, or new atheism was dominated by men because, it's, because it lacks the quote-unquote nurturing, coherence-building, extra-estrogen vibe that you would want by default if you wanted to attract as many women as men. And then he goes on to say, this resulted in an exodus of women from the movement who decided that, in quotes, the new atheist label was no longer for them. Uh, let me back up a little bit. Drinking uh, Adirondack, uh, yeah, I can speak, Adirondack flavored water enhanced with B vitamins and ginseng. All right. Not exactly hair of the dog, but hopefully it'll help hydrate me. I know I'm legendary for the way I tend to butcher words, especially uh, place names, etc. But uh, it's Adirondack. I don't even know if I could mispronounce it that way again if I tried. Adirondack. I don't even know what I said. So uh, this is the first time I'm ever hearing this quote. If I give the author of this article the benefit of the doubt and... Uh, take him at his word that Harris said this. So nurturing, saying new atheism lacks the nurturing, coherence building, extra estrogen vibe that you would want by default if you wanted to attract as many women as men. Okay, so I'm split on this. On the one hand, uh, you might say it kind of feeds into a stereotype of women as nurturers, uh, um which I don't know if that's necessarily a bad stereotype. And, and that I imagine and many uh, women would probably agree with me if you're uh, one of my uh, female listeners or friends, uh, let me know what you think. Um, 
I think there probably is something to it. Might have something to do with uh, the maternal instinct, the, the fact that women are the ones who bring uh, people into the world, <laughs> the ones that throughout most of history and probably still today have done most of the uh, the care taking etc of children um and i don't think that's a bad thing i think it's good to be nurturing i think it's good for men to be nurturing too and to be able to get into that aspect of you know get in touch with that aspect of themselves and and so i don't know if i think it all depends how you spin it or, or look at it this could be sam harris jokingly taking a swipe at the state of modern atheism or the quote-unquote new atheist movement um saying that it, it could use maybe more compassion or more of a a welcoming and nurturing aspect um you know that's one way to look at it or i guess if you wanted to you could spin it in a way that try to suggest as i think the author is doing here trying to suggest that somehow it's um you know a chauvinist statement on Harris's part. And I don't even think I've heard Sam Harris refer to atheism as new atheism. Um, I mean, if this quote is accurate, then I guess at least in in this instance, he did. Uh, I think both, it might come to a surprise to some, but both Dawkins and Harris have openly, and there's my chihuahua going nuts in the background, voiced their concerns with the very label atheist saying how, you know, like myself, you know, thinking it can be, or admitting it can be loaded. uh, It can be, it can kind of be constrictive. And uh, I think there's a problem with labeling yourself or others in general, where once you kind of pigeonhole yourself or someone else, um, you start to kind of think or exist inside the, uh, the confines of that box see yeah so this resulted in exodus of women blah 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 i know of many diehard atheist women who wanted nothing to do with quote-unquote new atheism which is a real shame harris's attempted self-exoneration didn't help either it merely revealed a moral scotoma okay what the hell is a scotoma let's find out let's learn together why the hell is my internet connection so slow Scotoma, a partial loss of vision or a blind spot in an otherwise normal visual field. So, uh, <laughs> if nothing else, at least I learned a new word from um, subjecting myself to this article. So, it merely revealed a moral scotoma in his understanding of gender, sexism, and related issues. What he should have done is quite simply said, I'm sorry. These words I've come to realize are nowhere to be found in the new atheist lexicon. And so, once again, I'm having trouble with labeling all these high-profile atheists as belonging to this one monolithic movement, new atheism, like they all signed a charter or something like that. Um, I mean, is it maybe fair to say that a kind of movement developed organically and maybe if you wanted to i guess you could slap a label on it and why not new atheism i guess maybe in fairness you could say that but they almost say it as if it's this club or this um movement that people consciously created 
uh, you know, with an agenda in mind. And maybe, um, you know, most atheists and high-profile atheists, uh, to some degree, might have a kind of agenda in the sense that we tend to believe in reason and enlightenment values over superstition and, you know, placating or, you know, pacifying oneself with, you know, Bronze Age beliefs or whatever. Um, and I guess if agenda sometimes has a kind of negative connotation, I think, uh, I don't know, could you say wanting to spread reason and science is uh, an enlightenment values that that's an agenda? If it's an agenda, it's one I'd happily sign up for. But uh, let's see. Subsequent statements about profiling at airports, serious allegations of rape at atheist conferences. And that's a big one. Um, allegations of rape at atheist conferences. And I think I was speaking recently on the show about how when I first started this podcast, you know, I came to my atheist worldview on my own. I was pretty naive about the quote unquote atheist community. And it kind of makes me wince even using that phrase. Um, and how I didn't even learn about things like Elevator Gate or Atheism Plus or Free Thought Blogs until I did an episode on atheist infighting. And how, even though I thought the opinions that I voiced in that episode and a subsequent episode or two were fairly measured and good-natured, uh, I did catch some flack. And one of the things I discussed that I think I caught flack from both sides of the atheist divide on was uh, when I discussed quote-unquote rape allegations at atheist uh, conferences. And I'm debating with myself now if I should even bring up some of the names because at least one of the um, high-profile skeptics or atheists who had such allegations uh, leveled at him um, I think it ended up being kind of a he said, she said thing. <sighs> See, I, I don't know if the guy did what he was accused of. And it's been a while since all this went down. And if he's someone who just, if it turns out, just engaged in a consensual sexual liaison or whatever, one night stand, whatever it was, um, I don't want to do damage to his reputation by bringing up rape allegations again. So I guess without naming him and uh, any of you guys who stay up to date with the drama and the uh, once again, quote unquote, atheist community, you can probably already guess who I'm talking about. But there's a high profile atheist who is at a conference and supposedly he and a younger female convention goer who I think was also fairly well known uh, I don't know if she had a blog or a podcast or what it was. I forget, but she was fairly well known. Uh, I believe they were both drinking. If you go with her account, I think she was drinking more. And I think her story was that she was pretty much, she was admittedly drinking to excess to the point where she was just out of it, where she probably couldn't really have consented. And then eventually sexual intercourse took place. And I think he, on the other hand, the other party, you know, had a different story and said it was fully consensual or whatever. Um, 
And I don't know what the truth of the matter is. And when I mentioned this guy by name, I, I caught flack from, I think I ended up catching flack from people who didn't like the fact that I named him. Maybe they thought by repeating these stories, I was kind of dragging it, dragging his name through the mud. And I caught flack from like the PC crowd who um, around that same time uh, didn't really like the way I, I maybe handled Elevator Gate or maybe the way that when I did mention this person by name, how I mentioned that, you know, I like this guy, I was admi an admirer of him, which I, I don't think it would be fair to hold that against me because I, I think if I recall correctly, I said, it doesn't matter if I admire the guy or not. If he raped someone, you know, if he had sex with a pastel person or someone who basically um, drank themselves in, into oblivion, then, you know, that's inexcusable. That's a crime uh, or, or whatever. But you can tell I, I kind of feel kind of nervous and self-conscious talking about all this again. So I guess I won't name the guy, and I already feel conflicted about that too, because on the other hand, if the guy did do something as egregious as what I described, then I think there should be a price to pay. I don't think anyone should get away with, um, you know, having sex with an incapacitated person. But anyway, man, I am, I, I can't win. I tell you, people, I can't win. Um... Yeah, so serious allegations of rape at atheist conferences and tweets from major leaders that, oops, linked to white supremacist websites. And uh, it has a link here, so why don't I click on that? And what's this taking me to the salon once again? Never tweet Richard Dawkins, famed atheist now, signal-boosting Nazi propaganda. Dawkins keeps demonstrating that there's no tweet too low for him to accidentally high-five. Okay. Famed atheist and of late anti-PC crusader Richard Dawkins is again in hot water after retweeting images of a parody book called The Social Justice Delusion, a spoof of his better seller The God Delusion, which was meant to criticize the supposed double standards of political correctness. Though ostensibly par for the course for Dawkins' Twitter ethos, the jacket go figure featured a QR code linking users to infamous white nationalist slogan, 14 words, which goes, we must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. So, and there's a little picture of it. And I don't know if I'm going to turn this into an audio-only episode as well, but... For those of you watching this OBS video, you know, there's a little picture of the uh, the uh, faux book jacket he tweeted out. And so this really doesn't bother me at all. Um, now, why do I say that? I have a big problem with um, racists, racism, uh, white supremacists. Uh, but it doesn't bother me because I don't know Richard Dawkins personally, but by reading his books, listening to him talk, watching his debates, lectures, etc., I think it's safe to say that this is a guy who is by no stretch of the imagination racist. Um, he embraces humanist values. Uh, as an evolutionary biologist, 
he focuses on the fact that, you know, we're all one species. He famously wears that shirt that says we are all Africans. So my guess is either someone sent him that or he happened upon it in an image search or something. And uh, on its own, you know, it's just a spoof book jacket. Uh, It's not ostensibly racist by any stretch of the imagination. So the fact that he retweeted that, I have absolutely zero problem with. And now, uh, Coke. Ugh. All the sugar's gonna, all the sugar and alcohol is gonna catch up with me. Why not have some hair of the dog? It's 9.26 a.m. now, and here's a leftover goblet of, uh, of, uh, 151 rum and, uh, stale Coke. Oh, man. All right. Tastes like something that should go into an engine. Yeah, so it says further alienated women, people of color, and folks that one could perhaps describe as quote unquote morally normal. Now that's pretty snarky. Get the fuck out of here. Simmer down, cowboy. Uh, it's very rare that I drop an F bomb on the show. I must have really been upset or still drunk. Pardon my French. Morally normal, like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and uh, Christopher Hitchens, etc aren't or weren't morally normal. I would actually say that all three of those people I named, as well as many atheists in general, many of our objections to religion are on moral grounds. We take issue with the hypocrisy. We take issue with the indoctrination of children. We take issue with uh, the oppression of women, like what we can, you know, these kind of outdated ideas of, uh, Women as second-class citizens, like you find at some points in the Old Testament, or even the New Testament, or um, and the Quran. Uh, of course, the problem of female genital mutilation, uh, child brides, all that crap. Uh, and you can argue that female gen- genital mutilation is cultural rather than religious, but uh, it still seems to be embraced in certain Muslim areas. Uh, and when I say child brides, that's just not me taking a swing at Islam. Uh, in my mind, I was thinking about fundamentalist Mormons. Yeah, I think that's a cheap shot. Yet some of us, mostly white men like myself, persisted in our conviction that overall, the new atheist movement was still a force for good in the world. It is an extraordinary personal embarrassment that I maintain this view until the present year. Man, it's not my fault that you would, you know, completely embrace this label uh, new atheism or that you packaged everyone up into this big group in your head or pigeonholed everyone how about instead of thinking of yourself as part of some quote-unquote new atheist collective how about you think for yourself which is what led me to be an atheist in the first place do i sound pissed i'm getting kind of pissed see um For me, it was a series of recent events that pushed me over the edge. As a philosopher, I bet you are, someone who cares deeply about intellectual honesty, verifiable evidence. evidence. Did I just speak like, I almost talked with like a a lisp or speech impediment, like Sister Wendy. I think, uh, I bet you Crocoduck's listening. Crocoduck and I are both non-believers, but we're fascinated by religion and probably know too much about Christianity and Christian culture for our own good. We both used to watch Sister Wendy, this nun who used to be on TV who would talk about fine art, etc. She actually pretty Sister Wendy was pretty cool. Uh, I almost said verifiable 
Uh, let me see. Verifiable evidence, critical thinking, and moral thoughtfulness. I now find myself in direct opposition with many new atheist leaders. That is, I see my own advocacy for science, critical thought, and basic morality as standing in direct opposition to their positions. So let me see there. I see my own advocacy for science and critical thought and basic morality as standing in direct opposition to their positions. So he's saying people like Dawkins and Harris are diametrically opposed to, uh, Jesus Christ, to, um, what the heck was it? Science, advocacy, critical thought, and basic morality. Oh my God. I, I don't even, I, I'm, I'm speechless. Absolutely speechless. But not for long, I have to finish reading this. Uh, just consider a recent tweet from one of the most prominent new atheist luminaries, Peter Bogosian. And I have to admit, I barely know who Peter Bogosian is. And I actually might be playing into this guy's hands a little bit or making his case for him. Because one of the first full-length interviews I ever saw with Peter Bogosian was on Stefan Malinu's channel. And, uh... Stefan Malinu, man. I, I don't even know what to say. I don't want to really get off topic. But, uh, Stefan Malinu. <laughs> yeah, but I actually can't believe that a prominent uh, atheist thinker or scientist like Peter Bogosian would actually go on Malinu's channel or whatever. It blows my mind. Malinu is obviously an extremely intelligent guy and um, a very thoughtful guy, but I also think he's a manipulative guy that he's full of himself and that um, often he'll try to voice things as if they're facts when it's just him strongly asserting his own his own skewed opinion or whatever. And of course, famously, there's a bunch of... I almost said controversy, like uh, the British pronunciation. There's uh, a lot of controversy surrounding him some years back. Allegations that he was basically running an online cult. And although I don't know if I'd go as far as saying he runs an online cult, um, alarm bells do go off when I watch him. And uh, I think if you're listening to or watching Stefan Molyneux, you really have to keep your eyes peeled wide open keep your bullshit detector on and do your best to think for yourself and really question what he's saying and, uh, you know, weigh everything for yourself. And he, he might actually advise the same thing, ironically. Um, and, and he has put out videos that I liked, Stefan Molyneux, in the past. Uh, I think he had, like, this Truth About series. And he would do sometimes historical ones, like on the Crusades or on George Washington, which I found informative, and even then I'd kind of keep my BS detector on. But I thought, for the most part, they were accurate and fact, uh, factual. But I was always kind of wary of him. And when he really, when he went whole hog in his support of Trump, uh, that is really when I just, I, I, I had basically had enough of him. And uh it, it kind of turned my stomach to watch him, to be honest. And I just basically, once in a while, I'll peek in and watch him for like five minutes at a time. But I don't really bother with him anymore. Uh, 
But who the hell is Peter Bergosian exactly? So Peter Bergosian, uh, born July 25th, 1966, is an American philosopher and uh, looks like he's written a bunch of academic articles, etc. I don't know. I'm not familiar with uh, any books. He's, he's, written, he's probably has written books. I'm just not familiar with them. I know next to nothing about the guy. Uh, I also saw Bogosian on Joe Rogan. I'm a huge Joe Rogan fan. I keep my bullshit detector on when I watch Joe Rogan too, but uh, I have a lot of affection uh, for Joe Rogan. I, I really like him. And I, what, I, and Joe Rogan in the past has embraced conspiracy theories and stuff like that, but what I like about him is he always has, it for the most part, in his own way, has his bullshit detector on too. And he will willingly, you know, he'll readily, very quickly call out guests if he detects that what they're saying isn't quite the case or isn't true and uh i love that about him and um yeah so rogan had bogosian on too and if i remember correctly it was a very awkward interview i think i talked to crocoduck about that i think he and joe rogan were arguing arguing over martial arts for like the first at least half hour of the interview but anyway so bogosian uh, so, supposedly this is what he tweeted. Why is it that nearly every male who's a third-wave intersectional feminist is physically feeble and has terrible body habitus? Habitus. That's got to be like Latin for, uh, you know, hygiene habits or something like that. If this is what it means to be a quote-unquote reasonable person, then would you want to be that? Uh, except for the vocabulary that looks like something you'd find in Donald Trump's Twitter feed. The same, then there's, should there be a period there? The same goes for another Bogosi, another of Bogosian's deep thoughts. Here it is in quotes. I've never understood how someone could be proud of being gay. How can one be proud of something one didn't work for? It's hard to know where to even begin dissecting this bundle of shameful ignorance. <clears throat> okay, so... Oh, and that last sentence was the author. So the Bogosian quote ends with, how can one be proud of something one didn't work for? Well, first I'll, I'll deal with his swipe at male third wave feminists. And uh, I have to admit, the only male third wave feminists that I'm aware of are, I think I'm only, I can only think of two right now are people I, I just happen not to care for. I, I think of, what's that Macintosh guy who is like uh, the man behind the scenes for Anita Sarkeesian. Um, and then, who is that guy? Remember there was like this viral footage of some kind of blow up on a college campus and there's this guy with like a high forehead and a long black mullet and glasses and he's just screaming you're a white male and <laughs> like i thought like a vein was going to blow in the kid, kid's head let me see see if i can find anything you're a white male <laughs> i think uh side 10 atheist actually lampooned this guy in some of his cartoons oh there he is there he is I, I just, there's something about this guy I hate. I can't, I cannot take it. Oh yeah, there's uh, Alex Jones' channel. Original AIDS, Skrillex, and Carl the Cuck at Trump rally. You're fucking a white male! AIDS, You're Skrillex. You're fucking a white male! You're a white man! You're fucking a white male! You're a white man! 
See if, just in fairness, try to get a longer clip of him. Let's see. He wants to deport, yes! He wants to deport Mexicans. He wants to make Muslims wear identification. So he wants to the started. What are we doing about ISIS? ISIS is not as much as what we all do to each other in America. Yes, look at all the fucking... Uh, so then you didn't support the Iraqi war? No, I didn't support Neither did Donald Trump. Didn't think Let's so. Let's bring it back to black people being killed by police. Okay. What has Trump said about that? What about white people being killed by police? Fuck off. That's not racist, though. Fuck off if a white guy's killed by a policeman. Only a black life matters. We already know that All right, so I think I pretty much dislike everyone involved here. I don't like quote-unquote AIDS Skrillex. Uh, this guy here, I, I think I've seen him trolling people before. Uh, I'm... I'm pretty damn far from a from being a Trump supporter so I don't really care for this guy either um uh yeah don't care for Trump so yeah I, I really don't like anyone involved here and I usually don't I'm the type of person who tries to get along with everyone but um there's just some weird trifecta there of people I, I just don't care for but the way that one guy is screaming at the other guy I almost have a bit of sympathy for this dude um Although, unfortunately, he uh, was a Trump supporter, or probably still is. Yeah, so, I mean, third wave feminism. Okay, now, in fairness, this is just coming from my YouTube experience. So let me, like I said, I was naive when I started this podcast. When I started this podcast, I had uh, very little knowledge of feminism, but I had a very positive view of it. Um, you know, I was born in the 70s. Yeah, I know I'm old. And, uh, um, you know, I can remember, uh, you know, seeing clips of the 60s and 70s, like feminist uh, protests and movements, uh, bra burnings and stuff like that. Um, and I always had a very positive view of feminism. And I thought it was just, even as a, a little kid, I think, I somehow, even if I didn't have the big vocabulary to express it, I understood that it was just the decent thing to view the sexes as having inherent worth, uh, as being equal. I mean, we might be different physiologically in some ways, of course, but in our worth as human beings, we're equal. And I believe, with a few excep exceptions, like you probably wouldn't see... Um, <sighs> you know, a, a female linebacker in the NFL or something like that, or, you, you know, or, or you probably, it'd probably be rare to find a woman who has the physique to, uh, fill that position. But, you know, generally, I think women are at least as smart as guys that women can do whatever, you know, a guy can do. And, uh, most of my women friends honestly have their shit more together than I do. You know, they, they have, uh, impressive careers uh many of them are, are single and you know very self-sufficient and everything um and uh smarter than a lot of dudes i know um and hopefully that doesn't sound like i'm being patronizing and here again i feel self-conscious because it's like there's some people who are so far left in their re in regards to their views on feminism that 
you can't even talk about the physical differences or possible, you know, or hormonal differences between the sexes without getting in trouble or being called a misogynist or, or a chauvinist or something. So, I mean, obviously, on average, men tend to be physically larger than women. We, both both of us, we have the same sex hormones, but obviously in different proportions or whatever. Um, you know, th this is like science or human biology 101. I shouldn't even have to say it, you know. Um, women experience pregnancy, gestation, menstruation, uh, you know, menopause. There's, there's physical differences. There just is. There's physical differences, anatomical differences between the two sexes. But that being said, we both have human brains capable of great things in our skulls. And I think a woman can be, you know, anything a guy can be, uh, you know, a scientist, an astronaut, uh, a political leader, you name it, you know, a CEO, whatever. Uh, so I believe in the equality of the sexes and I believe in the inherent worth of human beings in, in, in general, that we, we both have the same inherent worth, whether you be male or female. Um, but uh, I didn't really find out about things like third wave feminism, uh, Anita Sarkeesian griping about pixelated butts and breasts in video games or whatever in, until I decide to take my podcast onto YouTube, you know, and it's like I went down the rabbit hole. So, and even here I have to be careful because if you say you believe in traditional, I don't know what the proper terminology is, but traditional or classical feminism or whatever, or, you know, the dictionary definition of feminism, but you criticize, say, some of the baggage that goes along with some of the overly PC baggage that goes along with third wave feminism, uh, people will call you a misogynist or, you know, what, whatever, choose your, uh, epithet so this is going to be one of those landmine episodes where i'm bringing up all this stuff that's probably going to cause me to catch shit from people on both sides of the divide oh joy uh if i'm going to catch shit i mean why not at least you know do my best to be honest like i always do so i like to think and you know be objective and call call it like i see it um okay so that says Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. There was something else Bogosian said. Oh, yeah. Bogosian talking about homosexuality or whatever. I've never understood how someone could be proud of being gay. How can one be proud of something one didn't work for? Just wanted to make sure that OBS is still going. I, I, I would be, I don't know what I'd do. I'd, I'd probably just keel over onto the floor if I looked at OBS and it had stopped recording like 40 minutes ago or something. But no, it looks like uh, all's right with the world, or at least OBS. Ugh, without even thinking about it, I just took another swig of that rocket fuel. So, it's funny. This thing about taking pride in things that you didn't have any say or choice in, you know, your skin color, your ethnicity... Um, in this case, sexual orientation. I'm kind of split on this one where I think it's kind of like a, a balancing act where 
where I think it's good for people to work on self-acceptance, work on accepting themselves and having some sense of pride or acceptance, something I'm still working at. And, um, and even if it's something you didn't have a say in, something genetic or, what, or whatever, I think you still can have like a healthy, good-natured pride in a way. Like, for instance, um, you know, I'm predominantly Italian and Irish. I think there might be a hint of French and English in there too, but I'm predominantly Italian. I'm mostly Italian. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm pr- I, I guess for lack of a better word, I, I would say I'm proud to be Italian, proud to be Irish or whatever. And I don't say that in a way where it means I think I'm better because I am those things, but that I accept and like those things about myself. Like sometimes I'll, I'll just, you know, daydream about, wow, I wonder what my Italian ancestors were like. Uh, you know, what were they doing 2000 years ago where some of them, you know, a part of the Roman Empire or whatever. Um, I'll think about, you know, my Irish roots where my ancestors, Celts, you know, what kind of rituals and stuff did they take place? You know, did they take part in or whatever? And I love thinking about stuff like that, you know, um, what kind of people did I have in my family tree throughout the centuries? Were there poets and artists, thinkers? Probably a, a lot who, uh, weren't doing anything that glamorous probably a lot of peasants and serfs or whatever too <clears throat> people starving uh from famine or whatever i don't know but um yeah so it's like i feel like i can be proud of being italian and irish and uh at the same time not think that that makes me better than someone who happens to be of armenian or uh greek or Scandinavian or whatever ancestry, you know? And I think we should kind of, not to sound corny, we should do our best to all accept each other and view us as part of one species, you know, one race, the human race, kind of one big family, and at the same time celebrate diversity and um, be able to have a kind of healthy pride without putting ourselves above above others in you know in our backgrounds and things like that. And I think when it comes to sexual orientation, like I'm a straight dude. I pretty much known I was painfully straight probably literally since um elementary school. And I guess in a weird way, you could say I'm proud of being straight in the sense that uh I openly admit it and embrace it. Um, I guess you could say I enjoy being straight or whatever. And I don't think that me being straight or being um, accepting or maybe even having some kind of weird pride in being straight, that that means that gay people are somehow less. Not at all. Uh, I'm also proud to be a strong supporter of LGBT rights. And... um, I think you can have a healthy acceptance of your own sexual orientation without thinking that people of a different sexual sexual orientation are less than you. Um, but I'm still wrestling with that. I don't know if it makes sense to say you're necessarily proud of your sexual orientation. I guess in the case of homosexuality, you know, when you have a group of people that has long been kind of oppressed, who had to hide their, uh, 
sexuality for other um, who had to hide their sexuality from others uh probably until you know recently when and it's kind of cool that in my lifetime you know with obama we started seeing this big kind of sea change in favor of gay rights and uh acceptance of lgbt people um but already we have trump talking about you know how he doesn't want LGBT people serving in the army now. It makes you realize how easy it would be, as scary as it is, to backslide and and lose um, some of this momentum that we recently gained. So I mentioned Trump not wanting LGBT people in the military, and that was a bit of a slip of the tongue. In his controversial tweet, he specifically mentioned trans people. Why he suddenly has a problem with trans people, I don't know. I hope he's just blowing hot air and that uh, trans men and women aren't barred from military service. So I think in a way, if, let's say, you come from a minority group or you have a sexual orientation, um, I guess, yeah, we could just fold gay into minority group. So in the case of gay people, like I was saying... Uh, for a long time in this country, and I would imagine, you know, through certain points in history, although if we go back to the ancient world, the classical world, um, I, I don't think there are necessarily the same lines drawn between sexual orientation and bisexuality and homosexuality was much more common. Um, but, um, so I don't know if common was the word I was looking for there. Maybe it's all right to use common. But in certain points in you know the history of ancient Greece and Rome, I think sexuality was more kind of fluid and there weren't the strict categories and things like uh, bisexuality and homosexuality were probably more commonplace, less stigmatized. And from reading ancient history, if I remember correctly, though, there was this kind of stigma where it was considered more favorable or manly or better status-wise to be the penetrator than the penetrated. But if you were made to feel like a freak because of your sexual identity, made to feel like you had to hide your sexual identity lest you be, you know, labeled a pervert for being attracted to the same sex or, you know, having to be afraid of being, uh, of being beaten up just for your sexual orientation, and all of a sudden... You know, you've reached a point where you can finally, openly just be yourself and and stand before the world and let everyone know who you are. I can see taking pride in that, for lack of a better word. You know, saying, you know, this is my sexual orientation. I'm not going to run from it. Um, I'm proud of it, you know, and I, I'm not going to let myself be oppressed or guilted or made to feel like a freak or whatever. So I think in that way, yeah, it makes sense to be proud of being gay. So I guess, yeah, here I'll kind of agree with the uh, author. Um, since I'm not even a huge Bogosian fan anyway, I don't even really... <laughs> what's it matter to me that I differ with him on this thing? I don't know. More recently, Bogosian and his sidekick, James Lindsay, published a quote-unquote hoax academic paper 
in a gender studies journal, except that it wasn't in an attempt to embarrass the field of gender studies, which they, having no expertise in the field, believe is dominated by radical feminist ideology that sees the penis as the root of all evil. I've explained twice why this quote-unquote hoax actually just revealed a marked lack a market or marked lack of skepticism among skeptics themselves. So even here, I mean, once again, he's, he's taking Bogosian and whoever the other guy is, and let's say we just take the author on his word here and say they, they made some sloppy uh, uh, attempt at gotcha or whatever, um, and saying that because these guys might not have been following stern scientific principles or whatever, uh, or they weren't behaving like quote-unquote true skeptics or whatever, that that means there's a widespread problem in general with atheists or the skeptic community, quote-unquote skeptic community. And it says, so I won't go further into details here. Um, Suffice it to say that while bemoaning the sloppy scholarship of gender studies scholars, Bogosian and Lindsay's explanation of the hoax in a skeptic article contained philosophical mistakes that a second-year undergraduate could detect. Even more, their argument for how the hoax paper exposes gender studies as a fraud contains a demonstrable fatal error. That is, it gets a crucial fact wrong, thus rendering their argument unsound. The point is this, one would expect skeptics of all people who claim to be responsive to the evidence to acknowledge this factual error. Yet not a single leader of the new atheist movement has publicly mentioned the factual problems with the quote-unquote hoax. Had someone, or preferably all of them, done... Yeah, so, I, so let's say, I, I don't even know what the whole backstory with this quote-unquote hoax thing is. But let's say, for the sake of argument, that Bogosian was irresponsible or sloppy in the way he tried to execute said hoax or whatever. You know, like he was, I guess, trying to test the um, the integrity of the gender studies system or, you know, research system or however you want to word it. Uh, let's say he was sloppy in the way he did that. Um, why? Do other quote-unquote leaders in the quote-unquote new atheist movement have to come out and condemn Bogosian for it? I mean, if if all this is true, I think, yeah, it, it'd probably be nice. If you are aware of something a fellow scientist got wrong, um, a, a factual mistake that's gone uncorrected, I think it would be good. It would behoove the scientific community in general to, and the reputation of the scientific method, to come out and mention what it was. But that being said, I don't necessarily know that new atheists, quote-unquote new atheist leaders, uh, um, have a responsibility to clean up Bogosian's messes if whatever this is they're saying here is true. Then it goes on. Even worse, Bogosian and Lindsay expl explicitly argue in response to some critics that they don't need to know the field of gender studies to criticize it. This is properly contextualized about as anti-intellectual as one can get. Sure, it is a fallacy to immediately dismiss someone's criticisms of a topic simply because that person doesn't have a degree on the topic. Doing this is called 
the courtiers or courtiers reply, whatever the hell that is. Um, but it, did I make fun of this guy for, uh, I kind of was a little snarky when he called himself a philosopher. He does seem like a learned individual who, despite his personal spin on things, is fairly well versed on what he's talking about, at least. So maybe I'll retract the snarky way I made fun of him, uh, referring to himself as a philosopher. But it does always sound, a li- even if you are technically a philosopher, it does always sound a little pretentious to refer to yourself as a philosopher I, for some reason. Might be kind of like how I've been drawing and involved in like, the arts since childhood, have a graphic design degree, but I'm still self-conscious about referring to myself as an artist because for some reason it sounds pretentious. But it decidedly isn't a fallacy to criticize someone for being incredibly ignorant, and even ignorant of their own ignorance, regarding an issue they're making strong, confident, sounding claims about. Kids, listen to me. Knowledge is a good thing despite what Boghossian and Lindsay suggest, and you should always work hard to understand a position before you level harsh criticisms at it. Otherwise, you'll end up looking like a fool to those in the know. Well, I actually can't disagree with that. I understand the frustration that people feel towards this whole kind of overly politically correct atmosphere that's found on some college campuses and online, especially on YouTube, etc. And I can see why people would want to take the piss, so to speak. Man, am I being profane this morning? But that being said, yeah, I think if you, especially if you have a, a reputation as a scientist, you consider yourself a scientist, you should really do your homework before trying to pull one over on uh, other members of the scientific community or whatever it is, or to expose flaws in their methodology or whatever. Uh, I think there's a, a certain responsibility that comes along with that where, you know, you should be fairly well versed on the nature, I don't know, the, the inner workings of the thing it is that you're trying to debunk or um, shine the light of reason on or whatever, or, or test the integrity of. Let's see, along these lines in the new, new atheist movement has flirted with misogyny for years. Harris's estrogen vibe statement, which yielded a defense rather than a gracious apology, was only the tip of the iceberg. As mentioned above, there have been numerous allegations of sexual assault, and atheist conferences have pretty consistently been male-dominated, resulting in something like a gender Matthew effect. So, I don't know, it sounds like he's describing it like there's this misogynist cancer eating away at this so-called new atheist movement. Um... And some of the people who have had allegations leveled against them regarding sexual misconduct, I'm not trying to water things down, even rape. These are people who have been around for a long time who are a lot older than the so-called new atheism movement. I don't know, it almost sounds in a weird way like they're suggesting that new atheism. It's kind of like the black goo from from, uh, the Alien movies (laughs) that it somehow infects you and turns you into a misogynist or something. Uh, and, and obviously, once again, not to beat a dead horse, I have a problem with the very label New Atheist and with pigeonhole, pigeonholing prominent atheist thinkers into that box or whatever. And I know people like Dawkins, Hitchens, Harris, 
have all spoken out and condemned the way women are treated in certain parts of the Muslim world and have championed people like uh, Ayan Hirsi Ali, etc. Um, and I think people on the other side of the argument will say, well, they're just championing those fem those feminist causes like female genital mutilation, you know, speaking out against female genital mutilation and, you know, honor killings and stuff because it gives them a chance to bash Islam. But otherwise, they're not, quote unquote, real feminists. And I think that's I think that's kind of unfair, uncharitable. Uh, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't take their word for it, that they're actually sickened and concerned about things like honor killings, feminine, feminine, uh, I can, I can talk, uh, female genital mutilation, uh, arranged marriages, women being forced to wear burkers, burk, burkers, burker king, wear burkas and walk behind men and women not being allowed to drive. I think they are honestly upset about those things. I don't think they're just trying to shine a light on those causes or those problems because it gives them a chance to bash Islam. Get, you know, get out of here. At this point, I'm not even sure why I'm using OBS because I barely seem to be scrolling through any web pages. But um, let's see. Okay. Many leading figures have recently allied themselves with small-time television personality Dave Rubin, a guy who has repeatedly given Milo Yiannopoulos the professional right-wing troll who once said that little boys would stop complaining about being raped by Catholic priests if the priests were as good-looking as he is. A platform on his show. In a tweet from last May, Rubin said, I'd like a signed copy, please, in response to a picture that reads, Ah, peace and quiet, hashtag a day without a woman. If, say, Paul Ryan were asked, he'd describe this sort as sort of like the textbook definition of a misogynist comment. Did any new atheist leaders complain about this tweet? Of course not. Much of the frustration of critical thinkers like myself who actually care about how women are treated in society. And I think that's the end of the article. So that's really interesting. I kind of welcome the opportunity to talk about Dave Rubin. So... Like a lot of people, I'm kind of a disaffected or disillusioned uh, ex, you know, TYT viewer. The Young Turks were one of the first podcasts that I ever downloaded when I first discovered what the hell a podcast even was. I think Skeptoid and the Young Turks. And up until probably like a year or so ago, I watched them religiously, no pun intended, like a lot of people, I started to become disillusioned with them when they started around the time when Jenk uh, decided to go after Sam Harris, and he and, Sa and and he and Sam Harris had that like three hour long cringe inducing pissing match on you know hosted by the Young Turks, um, and I don't know if they always did this, but I was just unaware or if they really stepped it up but to me it seemed like they really started going out of the way to cover stories involving islam and really going out of their way to put islam and paint it in kind of or, or at least if not islam itself muslims in a sympathetic light and i think it's true that people who do happen to be practitioners of islam who are muslim uh as long as they're uh not you know 
blowing up pizza parlors or shooting up discotheques or whatever. <laughs> that probably that probably sounded somewhat uh, like uh, stereotyping on my part. But I guess the point I'm making is, is, as long as a Muslim person isn't an extremist, they're just a, a decent, normal human being. Their religion happens to be Muslim. And otherwise, you know, they just like everyone else, they're trying to make ends meet for their families, uh, be good neighbors or whatever, um, be respectful of their fellow human beings. I think those people should be treated with respect. I don't think that people should be demonized or persecuted just for being Muslim. Um, right here in our small town of Burlington, Massachusetts, we have a uh, mosque. And uh, I remember recently I, I was like driving towards the mall, the Burlington Mall, legendary mall, huge ass. But even when Burlington was kind of like a really small town before it became industrialized, we were known for having this giant mall, you know, yippee. It was a pretty, it still is a pretty cool place though. But I was driving towards the mall, going along a little back road that this mosque is on. And it must have been right when services or whatever you call it were getting out. And just a whole parade of cars and people on foot. I was for like 10 minutes sitting there watching everyone go. You know, I didn't lay on my horn or start screaming uh, slurs or, or epithets at people. Um, no, I, in a way, I kind of think it's cool. It's kind of interesting that this little town I live in has a mosque and that, you know, there's these people who practice a different religion than, uh, you know, the religion I was brought up into. I would be lying, though. Here I am just keeping it 100% real. There was a part of me who was like, Okay, there's a lot of people coming out of this mosque. I wonder if there's even, you know, are there like one or two people here, <laughs> you know, who maybe have sympathies, like um, extremist sympathies, or who maybe tacitly approve of some of uh, what's going on with um, Islamic extremism or whatever. Uh, I'm not proud of myself for thinking that, but at the same time, I'm kind of proud of my own intellectual honesty because... Who knows? Maybe there are. You know, <laughs> it's not like there haven't been um, any terror attacks here in the U.S. Or, or that there haven't been any, um, whether it be people operating on behalf of a cell or, you know, as a lone wolf in the name of Islam. It's not like there haven't been any attacks. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you wonder things. But that being said, that doesn't mean I'm going to start spray painting the mosque or, you know... Um, hurling epithets or trying to drive people away. No, you know, the, the, life's not always that simple. You can have concerns and at the same time also realize the decent thing is to, you know, treat your neighbors with respect and like human beings. Um, and that just because you might have concerns, that doesn't mean that there's necessarily anything behind those concerns. Maybe there is. We'll wait and see. Uh, Hopefully I don't appear in like uh, some video with like an ISIS flag behind me soon. <laughs> this is awful. I hope none of the Muslim population in uh, the town of Burlington watch this. <laughs> and man, what a damn landmine this episode is. It's just one landmine after another. Uh, I just keep putting my foot in it. Doing my best to trudge along and, you know, be honest. What can I say? But anyway, how did I get off track with that? Dave Rubin. Dave Rubin. So, um... Yeah, I know. Oh, that's how I got onto the subject of Islam. I was talking about the Young Turks. 
Yeah. Um, it just seemed like they had become very thin-skinned when it came to their coverage of stories that had to do with Islam. You know, if Dawkins tweeted anything about Islam, if Sam Harris said anything about Islam, or um, they would just totally try to paint them like they were xenophobic bigots. And there just seems something intellectually dishonest about the way they would go out of their way to defend Muslims um, when I don't think they would necessarily extend the same courtesy to Christians. My guess is it's probably because even though what Islam is the second biggest religion in the world um, with literally billions of adherents, I mean, was it? It's one point something billion uh, Muslims in the world, I think, 1.6, 1.8. But I guess, yeah, you could, in fairness, you could argue that as far as the size of the Muslim population in a given Western nation, it might be like they're still a minority in that sense. So I can understand, you know, maybe they want to be good people. They want to defend the underdog. They want to keep people from being um, unfairly targeted, etc. But still, I think there's something intellectually dishonest about showing more deference to the adherence of this one religion over another. Um, in fairness, Jenk used to speak out a lot about Islam itself. Uh, and how he, being Turkish, was raised uh, a Muslim, and he realized it was BS. You know, he read the Quran supposedly in the Bible, and he realized, you know, it was just all man-made stuff. And uh, he thought there was a lot of ugly stuff in, the, in those books, including the Quran. But he did seem to really go out of his way to defend Muslims. Not necessarily Islam, but Muslims. Whenever like Islam was mentioned in a negative way in the news or something like that, or in the wake of a, a terror attack, and I think it's cool to say like in the wake of a terror attack. Okay, remember everyone <laughs> that just because there was a attack perpetrated by some Muslim extremists, that doesn't mean that your Muslim neighbor is a bad person. Don't go and you know, drag him out of his house or whatever, you know? So I think it's good to try to drive that point home, but I think it went beyond that with them. It almost really seemed like there was some kind of agenda going on and that they were really going out of their way to paint people who spoke out against Islam as bigots. And that really, you know, that turned me off and, uh, and I just eventually stopped watching them. And I think, you know, you should be able to criticize ideas. I mean, Islam isn't a race. As I said yesterday about Dawkins, you know, Dawkins isn't some bigoted xenophobe who hates brown people. He's a scientist with humanist values who's critical of religion. And there's lots of good reasons to be critical of Islam, especially, of course, fundamentalist Islam. But even if, you know, just like... Even if you're a good, kind Christian who doesn't embrace some of the barbaric stuff in the Old Testament, it doesn't change the fact that that stuff is in there and that the religion is in part based on some ugly stuff or there's some ugly stuff in that holy book of yours. Same thing with the Quran. Like You can have decent, good-natured Muslims who wouldn't hurt a fly, um, but that doesn't change the fact that there's some ugly stuff 
in the Quran. It doesn't change some ugly facts about the biography, the, the, the life of Muhammad. So I think it, it's fair to criticize religion. It's fair to criticize um, ideas. And when you see people killing other human beings in the name of religion around the world, it's fair to want to say enough of this shit. Enough of people embracing, you know, these man-made religions and giving undue deference to this superstitious nonsense. And even if you want to argue in some cases, there might be socio-political reasons why terrorists do what they do. In some cases, you still can't completely rule, rule out the role that religion plays. And in a lot of instances, I think religion plays quite a big role. Just ask the extremists themselves. Um, I think we need people to try to spread the light of reason and show religion for what it is and to point out the flaws and the hypocrisy and the barbarism in the, in the text, etc. Um, so that's basically why I stopped watching The Young Turks. And so Dave Rubin was on The Young Turks, and I'll never forget the episode. I've talked about it a few times. They were talking about Charlie Hebdo, and it was Jimmy Dore, Ben Mankiewicz and Dave Rubin. And I think, in fairness, I think Jimmy Dore and Dave Rubin are pretty much on the same page that they sided with, or sided on, um, I can talk this morning well, the side of, uh, art, you know, artistic freedom, uh, freedom of speech, that the artist should be free to say and draw whatever the hell they want, you know? And um, Ben Mankiewicz was in my opinion, being very kind of overreactionary, uh, hypersensitive. And he was actually banging his hand on the desk, kind of getting red in the face, talking about how, you know, these poor Muslims <laughs> on the other side of the world or whatever, how they don't need these, and I'm, you know, just kind of having fun making fun of them. But this was kind of the gist, what it felt like to me. They don't need these mean artists drawing these pictures of their prophet lampooning their religion and kind of shoving their faces in it, you know? And Mankiewicz was really going off. He was really hot, hot under the collar. And Dave Rubin had this, his, he was literally, I think, kind of like open mouth with wide eyes. Like, what the hell's going on? Just speechless, wide-eyed and speechless. And some other things went on with that, I think, uh, like that. There was some a big disagreement about the Palestinian, uh, ongoing Palestinian-Israeli conflict, etc. And eventually, Dave ended up leaving the Young Turks, ended up a couple of years ago starting his own thing, the, the Rubin Report. I think he might have had the Rubin Report also, like a different iteration of it when he was with TYT. But, you know, he, he ended up going solo. And he's become quite successful. And he's he has a lot of big-name guests on. Just yesterday, I was watching. Um, I want to thank uh, Matthew out there who, for uh, a friend and listener for letting me know that Dave Pacman and Dave Rubin recently talked again. At first, I assumed Pacman mu must have went on the Rubin report again, but Rubin actually went on Pacman's show, and I watched that. <clears throat> I think I watched it twice, actually. And uh, I don't really have any. I big takeaway from I just liked watching the two of them talk but my, my takeaway from that was that if or my impression that Dave Rubin and Dave Pakman are very close 
on a lot of issues, but far enough apart that there's some kind of like lingering tension or disagreement there. But they're they're friends in real life. But yeah, it was a very odd interview because they agree on so much, but differ on just enough that I don't know. It was just it was kind of an odd interview in that sense. And I ended up watching it twice just to see if I missed anything. But I I, I don't really have any big. Uh, takeaway or I wasn't left with any really big impression. I think Matthew wanted to know what I thought of that. But yeah, so Dave Rubin went off on his own. He's had some really interesting guests. Uh, He's had some people, I mean there's some people that, you know, he has on that you're like, whoa, you know, is he starting to lean conservative? He had like David Horowitz on, people like that. And I, I did at first kind of I kind of raised an eyebrow when he first had Dennis Prager on, but I think it's good to listen to people who have different opinions than your own and to engage them in a, a civil but maybe spirited dialogue and, you know, try to test the merit of your own ideas by, you know, kind of intellectually sparring with people who have opposing opinions. Uh, and I really, really liked the dialogue between Michael Shermer Dennis Prager that took place on the Ruben Re- Re- on the Ruben Report. I thought both of those guys did a really good job, and it was a really thought provoking exchange. And I did a two part response, and I you know talked about what I took issue with as far as you know things Prager said or whatever. Yeah, and so he's had other conservative types on um, Ben Shapiro. He's had on Brigitte Gabrielle, I think her name is. Um, so I have to admit, yeah, it is kind of weird being a former TYT viewer and seeing Dave Rubin, you know, like liberal Dave Rubin sit down with these conservatives, but I guess, you know, what, like I was just saying, why not? It's good to engage people in healthy debate, uh, you know, test the merit of your own ideas by intellectually sparring with them. My only thing was, I was kind of like, Dave, please don't become too conservative. I, I think he's kind of he started to lean a little more right since starting uh, out, you know, starting out on his own. And I think he's admittedly become more libertarian. In fact, one of the things he and Dave Packman were, I think, you know, differing on were uh, taxes and to some degree uh, single payer health care, et cetera. Yeah, so it's kind of like I'm carefully watching Dave Rubin. I'm still enjoying what he does, but I'm like, you know, I'm just bracing myself for the other shoe to drop. I'm, I'm kind of, <laughs> for some reason, I'm waiting for him to, to just keep becoming more and more conservative, but we'll see what happens. Uh, that being said, I, I, this has been going on for a while now. I guess I'll uh, call it quits. I want to see if there's anything I can play to end the show that won't uh, earn me a copyright strike. I've been on been on an yeah sure I've been on an Adam Ant kick recently. It's a song called Red Scab. I kind of dig from Adam's old really punk days. I wonder if this will earn, earn me a strike. Let's see. <laughs> Oh, 
come on, Internet Connection. I should say, well, it's paused. Adamant actually does have a heart on his arm that says pure sex. That's like the first line or something in the song. 